0: What do you do with an extra day? What do you do with an extra leap day Sabbath, right? You're thinking about it. What do you do with an extra day? By the way, do we have any leaplings in the room? A leapling is someone, this is your birthday. Who's got a 29th birthday? Anybody in the room? 200,000 Americans were born on February 29 who actually get to celebrate their birthday today. They're called Leaplings, right? When the pastors thought about this Leap Day Sabbath, what do people do with this extra day? So if you check the Google, the Google tells us that with an extra day, people, these are the top suggestions. Go to the bookstore, write thank you cards to people who have been meaningful in your life, take a drive, cook something new, Create or build something. Play board games, the real old-fashioned kind, not the electronic kind. Look at the people you live with and have a real conversation. Plan a vacation, a real vacation where you're off work completely. What do you do with an extra day? Well, they say you could plan the rest of the year. You've got a whole extra day, so plan the rest of the year. What do you do with an extra day, and what do you do with an extra day when it falls on the Sabbath? We decided fun was in order, so it's balloons and trivia and a whole lot of cupcakes in the patio after church today because the pastor thought it should at least be fun, if nothing else. When I looked for what people do with one extra day in the year, nowhere anywhere did I see we would open our Bibles and read a little more. Now, that was a downer. We just took the whole room down, right? Before anyone gets all negative, to be truthful, does it really feel like we'll have an extra day? No, right? Because it's spread out over four years. To be truthful, for it to feel like an extra day, we would need a Friday, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sunday, right? Right? Now we're talking. All right, let's pretend we have a Friday, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sunday. What would you do with that extra Sabbath? Sleep, I heard. And what do we do in a culture that's particularly critical of our time, a culture that protests the pull on our lives, right? A culture that protests, you know, work and schedules and deadlines and the DMV and the dishes. What do you do with that extra day? So I ask myself, would I open the Bible and read it? If if it went Friday, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sunday. The people who do all the research, the research pew people and the Barna people, the fuller youth people, all of them have been saying the same thing for a very long time. There's no new news here that there seems to be a book on our shelf less and less of us read. And less and less of us who are Christian read this book. Unless you particularly like data, I don't think data is very inspiring to help us read it a little bit more. If you like data, however, visit the Barna website. They have a project, The Bible in America, where they've actually tracked cultural engagement with Scripture for about 30 years, friends. And they've asked questions about the Bible in America, and the answer is consistent now. 30% of us read the Bible about once a week, and today counts. Worship counts. If you're in worship and we hear Scripture today, this would be that one day of the week. You actually don't have to go home and read anymore. You're welcome. If you wanted to be part of that statistic, you're welcome. Cultural engagement in the Bible. I don't think that that's the most interesting thing that the Barna people have told us, actually. I think this is more interesting, the cultural shift. This is from the president of the company and the research director. The data is trending towards biblical skepticism, David Kinneman says. With each passing year, the percentage of Americans who believe the Bible is just another book written by men increases. So, too, do the perceptions that the Bible is actually harmful, and people who live by its principles are religious extremists. This is actually not all bad news, Kinneman and others would say, because at least skepticism means we're engaging, we're attempting to have a di- honest dialogue, so that's not all bad news. However... <laughs> People who take the Bible seriously are a religious extremist. This is the cultural shift I'm most interested in. This cultural shift is a long time coming. We've talked about it often here. Every 500 years they tell us, you know, we live through these massive cultural shifts. We're living through one, though it's rapidly moving now the last few years of our lives, right? Right? cultural shifts that are happening involve the Bible, because for generations now, at least a couple of hundred, at least two centuries, at least a couple hundred years, probably a little longer, what we've said about the Bible is, it's inspired, it's true, it's reliable, which means we're right, at least that much. It's inspired, it's true, it's reliable. And in the hands of an evangelist, the word right means now get in the baptistry. And most often, that's when the Bible closes. And we do less and less with the Bible after that baptism. It's inspired, it's true, it's right. Shifting culture also says to us if the Bible produces Christians like so and so, fill in the blank, church, fill in the blank. If the Bible produces Christians like those extreme fundamentalists, so and so, and an election year is a good time to think about this. If the Bible produces a movement that could do that, if the Bible produces people who are capable of that, then no thank you. I actually don't need that Bible. It doesn't matter to me if it's inspired, reliable, true. It doesn't seem to be good for society, it doesn't seem to be useful. This is the cultural shift we've all now lived through. Maybe the Bible isn't so good for us. And it turns out, actually, the shift in culture, we can have pretty good lives without the Bible. We can have meaningful lives without the Bible. We can raise our families without the Bible. We can, um, you know, have a pretty good society without the Bible. We don't actually need the Bible, culturing sh- the shift in culture. And frankly, if the Bible is what we use to, to prove the truth. What are we gonna do with the Bible in a post-truth culture? Friends, we have a fresh conversation to have. What ought we do with the Bible in the culture in which we live today? These are our sets of questions. During the time, the last few years, I would say, actually, I've been, I've been here since 2009. During this amount of time, we've seen the culture produce the largest group of irreligious people called the nuns. That group that belongs to no group. We've talked about them often over the years, the nuns, no religious affiliation. The estimates now say one out of five and one out of three younger adults belong to that group. We've been watching that group grow. And now the nuns have become the gons. Whichever one of my colleagues said that, I give them credit, but somebody smart said that, and it wasn't me. The nuns have become the gons when we think about religious culture in America, and I'm only considering America right now. In Adventism, too, if you take in the Adventist World uh, reports, then February, just a few days ago, there was an article on this very topic, where is everyone going in Adventist churches? So this is... Leap, year, Sabbath. And it's this, these clusters of forces we want to entertain now for the next six weeks. These cultural shifts, the Bible in the shifting cultural landscape, the Bible in Adventism, and the Bible in the 92505. It is through the lens of John Brunt's book, Enjoying Your Bible, we'll carry on this conversation. Remember, we've offered a free copy to anyone who wants one after church today. They're over in the fellowship hall where the pictorial directory is set up. You can get your book over there. Join a group, there's at least seven fresh groups over there. Sign up online or over in the group or start your own, pick up John's book. He'll be with us the first weekend in April, by the way. We'll have a conversation with him ourselves the first weekend in April. John says this, enjoying your Bible. Is that an audacious claim? We could actually enjoy our Bible because that's the thesis of his book. He tells the story of being a guest preacher in someone's church and there were two Bible study classes available on a Sabbath morning. One was in the balcony and one was down below. He chose to sit in the balcony because he could eavesdrop both classes at the same time. The class down below was mostly gray hair. And the class down below had a Bible study guide they were following. And the leader up front would ask a question. And the people in the class would answer the question. Most of the questions were theoretical and theological. And all of the answers came with a one sentence answer, a Bible verse. And they moved all the way through their conversation time, all the way to the end of the group. There was never really any discussion about what all of those texts had to say about our everyday living, how life might change this week based on all the passages we just read. And that would be considered a biblical class. Now, he was sitting with a group in the balcony that were mostly younger adults, most of them married, and they went around uh, the, the circle and began sharing about their lives, giving updates on their week, how things were going, sharing a lot of information. Dr. Brunt says, actually, maybe too much information. One couple sharing about what the doctor was leading them through so they could conceive and have a child. And before it ended, they prayed for every person in that class, one by one by one. Dr. Brunt said, that was very touching to me. Never once in that class did anyone open the Bible. That's the question. Is there any way to close the gap between these two? The Bible that's been open for so many generations in the Seventh-day Adventist church, verse by verse, theological answers, theoretical answers tossed out, amen, we go on to potluck, and kind of the younger conversations now, well, we know how to do life, but we have no idea how the Bible fits into this everyday life. How could we close the gap between the two? This is the question Dr. Brent is working on in his Bible, in his book, "How to Enjoy the Bible." Do they belong together, the Bible and everyday life? Do they belong together? His thesis is: We can enjoy the Bible. We're not if we're not enjoying it. We're probably not reading it. Or if we're not reading it, we're probably not enjoying it. One of the other. His book will address some reasons why we're not reading it. His book addresses ways we could read it better. His book addresses what to do with messy parts of the Bible because parts of the Bible are truly messy. But Dr. Brunt is convinced the messy parts of Scripture don't outweigh the beautiful portions of Scripture. And we ought not throw the whole thing out because some parts of this are messy. Now, Dr. Brunt is very generous generous and kind of gentle in his book. Here's a book title that's saying something similar, but notice how this one rings different. Ten tips for liking the Bible because believing it's true is not enough. Ten tips for liking the Bible. Believing it's true clearly isn't enough for all of us. Brunt is not this blunt. Say that fast. He's not blunt, this blunt. Let this settle. In the cultural landscape, I've... Described, there, this title is probably not wrong. Ten tips for liking it because believe, if I believed it, I would probably already be reading it and liking it. It's sort of like ten tips for liking vegetables because I know they're good for me. Ten tips for liking your family because it's not enough to be related. I mean, it rings a little like that, doesn't it? Is that a little too close for comfort? Some of you are looking at each other. 10 tips for liking Christianity because believing it's relevant isn't enough. 10 tips for a life of service because knowing it's important for all of us isn't enough. 10 tips for owning the church because believing it's the body of Christ isn't doing it. 10 tips for liking the Bible. Well, Dr. Brunt is a little more gentle. We can learn how to like the Bible, he claims. We can learn how to do this in my summary in a world of two-second attention spans and kind of two-swipe options. We can really learn to like our Bibles. Brunt says simply start reading it. Simply start reading it. Read it and listen and listen and read. Read it and listen and listen and read. Stop forcing all of the questions on the text. Simply start listening and reading and reading and listening. So, we're going to do some of that today. Esther Kinzer is going to read some passages for us. We'll take Dr. Brent seriously in one section of his book. He asks us to imagine when we hear a passage of Scripture that we might be in a bookstore. Ask yourself what section of the bookstore you're in. Is this the news section? Are we in the history section? Are we in the breaking news section? Or is this bibliography? Are we in memoirs? Are we in entertainment? Are we in fiction? Ask yourself those questions when you hear Scripture, Dr. Brent says. Listen to the text. Get settled in the neighborhood. I love that line of his. Get settled in the neighborhood because the Bible is full of all of it. Now, Esther's going to read some passages for us. Esther reads regularly at the 9 a.m. service, the liturgical service, where they read four passages of Scripture every Sabbath. We tried that here at this service one year, a few years ago, and you were all kind of, eh, 50-50 on it. But at the liturgical service, it's been going on for 25 years. Esther, give us our first reading.
1: I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. What section of the bookstore do you think you're in?
0: Pardon? Someone said Paul's bookstore. <laughs> Paul's bookstore, letter to the Galatians, they're going to buckle their seatbelts and think about community and the gospel according to, do we all have to be circumcised, right?
1: Esther, next reading. Listen, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Let anyone with ears listen.
0: What section of the bookstore are we in? Mm. It's not quite the Gospels, but that's nice. It's the genre of the Gospels in the Bible, but now we're going a little deeper and a little deeper, right? We plucked something straight out of the book of Matthew, but it's, but it's a, a story, it's a parable.
1: It's, a, it's to help us think. Next reading. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I promised to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant to you. For your part, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my command. See what you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become adversaries to you, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the Israelites, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochum, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. We're kind of sitting
0: around the kitchen table with that one, aren't we? And getting scolded, right? Yeah, Israelites on their long journey from the promised, to the promised land, and, and a messenger of the Lord turns up in their story. By the way, would you listen to
1: Esther read about anything? The next one. Happy are those who find wisdom and those who get understanding. For her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. What part of the bookstore?
0: I mean, are we at your auntie's house and her name is Wisdom? Probably not, right? We're in the book of Proverbs. Very imaginative wisdom material, right? Book of Proverbs is this interesting book. It's not in any kind of order. It's not necessarily logically uh, put together, but you could think of wise scribes walking through the town and pointing things out. Ah, oh, notice this. Ah, oh, notice that. Oh, notice. The book of Proverbs. What's next?
1: Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped.
0: Yeah. We're not having a quiz, folks, so you're okay. <laughs> Those of us who read our Bible a lot, you know we're in the book of Revelation, but we're, we're in apocalyptic literature and there's a hymns fest going on, right? What's next?
1: If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, Then his father and mother shall take a hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his town at the gate of that place. They shall say to the elders of the town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid." Very nice. Very
0: nice. We're not in the book of Revelation anymore, are we? We're not in the proverbial material, the wisdom material anymore, are we? We're not with Jesus right now, are we? We're kind of with the discipline committee at La Academy, huh? <laughs> the parent seminar we'll have next weekend, huh?
1: Rebellious children.
0: Book of Deuteronomy.
1: What's next? In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Well done
0: pronouncing all of that. What section of the bookstore? Clearly in history. is simply the introduction to the Gospel
1: of Luke. We're just at the very beginning. One more. Let's do a last one here. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter." And we are now where? Gospels, the stories
0: with Jesus, right? I have this um, secret agenda that we will get Esther to record all the Bible for us. We can get her a leave of absence from her work with La Sierra University. If you support this conspiracy, please see a pastor. I would listen to anything you read, Esther. (laughs) Thank you for the readings of the Word this morning. The last one from, from Jesus, a story with Jesus. Church, there has got to be a better story we can tell about our Bibles. We can simply complain all the damage we've done with our Bibles in the generations gone by, or we can get on with whatever the new era is. Infodemic is what they call it happening right now in our society when all the bad information is spreading quicker and out of control, the gossip and the bad information. Sometimes I wonder if that's what's happened to our Bible. The bad information is way out in front of us. We did a sermon series in the fall called Tell a Better Story. We confess that not always have we told God's story well. We confess that sometimes we've blasphemied the name of God. We confess that there's a more generous way to talk about God and creation. Well, the same is true of Scripture. We can continue to complain about the ugly parts of Scripture, but truthfully, all that does is produce, produce nervous and fragile faiths. There is a better future for the Bible. We simply must read it and listen And read it, and listen, and repeat the cycle. So for these weeks, this is what we'll do. Your pastors have put together a resource guide. They're at the information racks. When you leave, they're hanging online. Resources for adults, you'll see them on the screen. Resources for children, there's two separate resources out in front. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and by the way, if you're looking for a host of Seventh-day Adventist authors, in addition to this, the Adventist bookstore is right across the street. These happen to be some of the titles that your pastors keep on their shelves that have been very meaningful, and, a, and a list, another list for kids and teens, not all of them are books, some of them are podcasts, some of them are the Bible Project, the videos that are so popular right now. We're inviting you to read for the next five weeks. Would you, would you, would you commit to opening the Bible and read and, and or listen, and if you don't want to do it alone, do it with people, join a group? Or the Bible app on bible.com pastor Dave told me this story of a family in his church in Australia you can create a group and invite everyone to the same reading plan and in the morning the reading plan goes out to all the family members and sometime during the day everyone logs in or checks into the app reads their bible reading for the day at the end of the day at supper time or on the weekend you've all got a thing you can talk about he's creating such a group for the youth during this sermon series You can go to uh, BibleApp.com, the first Bible app, by the way, that pops up in the App Store. Create a reading plan. We have an ancient library here in one book. It has caused trauma. and, And I am simply tired of repeating all the garbage from the past. There has got to be a better experience with our Bibles still in front of us so this is what we're committed to this year reading the Bible would you give it another try would you on the weekend of April 4 dr. Brent will be with us Friday Sabbath morning Sabbath afternoon Friday night will be for families and children teenagers Sabbath morning he's going to stand here and tell us why he felt he wanted to write this book what it means to him personally Sabbath afternoon more in-depth so we hope you'll block your calendars off now. Sabbath afternoon, we'll have potluck, and then we'll uh, come, come probably here to the sanctuary or Sierra Vista, and we'll have a little more in-depth ses- session with Dr. Brent, pastor, but a uh, New Testament scholar, um, alumna, alum of La Sierra University, a good friend to this community. We're so excited he accepted our invitation to be present. The Bible in 2020, is there a better future for the Bible? One of the most memorable scenes in my head was when I was a younger pastor coming home on Sabbath afternoon, and the girls were still quite young. And on the living room floor was father and child and child, father and siblings, and a Bible. The first time I saw this, I did not realize this is pretty much what they did all the time when I was gone on the weekend. (laughs) The girls would take the Bible and let the Bible fall open when wherever it fell open, one of them would start reading. And they would read a few verses, and then they would stop. And then they would say, Okay, Dad, where is it? Like in all 66 books, where is it? Yeah, where is it? And what's the rest of the story? And then he would guess... And they were kind. And then they would do this again and let the Bible fall open. And they would start reading again. And they would say, okay, Dad, where is it? Come on, you can do it. Where is it? I walked in one Sabbath and he's on his stomach in the family room floor with his head down. I know he's trying to take a nap. (laughs) And the girls were like, come on, Dad, you can do it. Where is it? Where is it? Tell us where it is. Uh, I think you're in the book of Hezekiah. There's no Hezekiah. (laughs) Oh, I think you're in the book of dragons. There's no book of dragons. Come on, Dad, where is it? Where is it? Friends, all there was in the room was a Bible and two little children who hadn't been taught yet that it was troubling and that it's done so much damage. All there is in the room is a Bible and an adult with an imagination and a spirit of play and an adult who understands midrash and an adult who's not worried that 10 and 12-year-olds learn doctrine too soon. All there was in the room that day was a Bible and three curious, playful creatures. There is hope for the Bible in 2020. Amen.